Welcome to the Peaceful Life Podcast. This is your host, Laura, coming to you from a cottage in the woods in the beautiful mountains of California. Today's episode is about peaceful parenting. Now, I'm not a parenting expert, but believe it or not, my mother was. She was trained by some of the best early childhood educators in Chicago, and she even had a long-running parenting advice column. I was so lucky to have her as a resource when raising my daughter, who's now an adult. Later in this episode, I'm going to interview Dr. Tiffany Noonan, a pediatrician-turned-parenting coach, who will talk about her philosophies and tips for peaceful parenting. But first, a couple stories about how I raised my daughter. First and foremost, my goal was to create an atmosphere of joy and creativity. Simple as that. Let me preface this by saying that I raised her as a single mother. Sometimes I had money, sometimes I didn't. I'll talk more about that in our money episode. When finances were tough, I admit I had to be more creative. We would go to the park, we played, we colored, baked, created stuff. We would walk to the pet store and just watch the mice play. As you go through the other episodes of the Peaceful Life podcast about simplifying, about being mindfully kind, about what other people think about you, think about teaching these strategies to your children. Give them an early start to a joyous and peaceful life. As for my own parenting strategies, if I had to put together a bullet list, It would go something like this. One, when I was with my daughter, I wasn't distracted by my phone. I didn't answer text calls or scroll through Facebook. If you're constantly distracted, your child will feel like you don't really want to be with them, that they come second to your online life. Two, I gave my child creative outlets, I always had toys that were more creative than entertaining. Always have crayons, paper, scissors on hand so they can create whatever they want to. Three, I exposed my daughter to arts and culture early in her life. I loved ballet, so the first ballet I took my daughter to was the Nutcracker. She then asked to see more. She loved the theater, whether it was plays or musicals or ballets, and I made sure that we went at least once a year. Now, many museums allow children to enter for free or little cost. I'll tell you a story of something my dad did with me when I was about 10. He got me flashcards of famous paintings at the Art Institute of Chicago, He told me to study them, and then we'd go to the Art Institute together. Now, the game was that he'd give me a dime for every one of the paintings that I could spot in real life, and then, if I could name the artist, I got an extra quarter. Oh my God, it was the funnest day with my father that I'll never forget. And guess what? I still remember all of those paintings and the artists to this day. 
But most importantly, I have a lovely memory of the day with my father. Four, I made sure my daughter had quiet time each day. Refer to my episode on peace and quiet and why it's so important to maintaining peace in both a child's and an adult's life. Five, I allowed her room to be her sanctuary. I didn't fill it with tons of toys, but made it comfortable, uncluttered, and even let her do some of the decorating. Listen to our episode on simplifying your life for more information on this. Six, I always had a bedtime routine. Routines make kids feel safe. Our evening was dinner, homework, TV time, reading, and then bed, sometimes with a bath thrown in there. Seven, I treated my daughter more like a little adult than a baby. I respected her intelligence, her questions, her learning. You know, kids are pretty logical. If they're bulking at bedtime, they'll be unlikely to understand the whole because I said so reasoning. They will understand something like this. Kids need more sleep than grown-ups because they're growing. That's why your bedtime is 8 and mine's at 10. I don't need to grow anymore. Chances are that'll make sense to them and they'll accept it. Eight, I made sure my child felt safe confiding in me. If a kid thinks you'll blow up or get angry, the communication will shut down. It's so important that your child feels that they can tell you anything, especially as they head into their teen years. When the day came that my daughter told me she had lost her virginity, I really wanted to scream, but I didn't because she told me, and that was super important, and I was incredibly grateful because then that opened the conversation to talking about sex and love and contraception. And lastly, you are the blueprint for your child's happiness. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. As the old airplane metaphor goes, put your oxygen mask on first before you put them on your kids. Now, I wasn't a perfect parent, but looking back, my daughter tells me that for the most part, she had a very happy and fulfilled childhood. So I think I did something right. So now in the second part of this episode, you actually get to hear a voice other than mine. I'm talking with Dr. Tiffany Noonan, a trained pediatrician and founder of Epic Parenting. EPIC stands for Empowered, Peaceful, Inspired, and Connected, and provides coaching, online seminars, and offline workshops for parents. She herself is the mother of two school-age sons. Welcome, Dr. Noonan, to the Peaceful Life podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Laura. Let's get right to the point. How would you define a peaceful child? 
I would define a peaceful child or a peaceful person in general as someone who is in touch with who they really are, knows their values, is um, capable of expressing their feelings and emotions in a way that is um, serving them and the people around them. So it's not necessarily a child who never gets angry or a child who never has any what we may determine as quote unquote negative emotions, but it's someone who can feel those emotions and express them in a way that is healthy and allows them to move the emotions and allows them to communicate with those around them um, in a way that is serving them and fulfilling for the relationship. Right. I get that. Um, and, and I raised my daughter as a single parent. Um, and a lot of people ask me or tell me, oh, that was really hard for you, wasn't it? And I said, no, actually, it wasn't because I didn't have any contention on how to raise my child. It was my way. Um, so what do you tell parents when they have different ideas about how to raise their kids or how to deal with difficulty in children? Sure. It all comes down to the relationship and being very clear about what your intentions are and what your what type of relationship you're aspiring to create. Um, I am a single mom at the at the moment, um, but I haven't always been a single mom. And my um, desire to raise my children in a way that I consider to be peaceful parenting was in the beginning at odds with my Marine husband's methods of how um, children should be raised or how he had been raised. Um, Thankfully, because I am a pediatrician, he kind of had this theory that, okay, you're the expert in that field, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be mutiny. Um, I'm happy to report at this point that he um, does see and understand that I wasn't completely out of my mind. But I think what's important is for the adults that are involved in the rearing and the raising of the children to sit down and kind of create a clear plan of what are our values? What are we um, working to instill in the children? And if there is still a big disconnect, honoring who you are and the relationship that you want to create with your children. And very often what happens is that the other relationships, if you're doing it in a peaceful way, sort of start to follow suit, but you can't really change other people. So you can really only look to yourself. Right. Now, uh, you received your bachelor's in psychobiology, I believe, and your medical degree specializing in osteopathic medicine. Um, what specifically drew you to pediatrics and working with children and parents? Sure. It's interesting. I actually made that decision um, when I was very young. I was 12 when I decided that I wanted to be a pediatrician. I never actually specifically said I want to be a physician. I said I wanted to be a pediatrician. And my goals at that time were to it seemed to me that the best way I could make a difference in this world was to help children grow up healthy so that they had a strong basis for the entire rest of their life. I'm not exactly sure why at the age of 12, that was my goal. Um, but that's sort of when it came to me. And I just sort of took the steps in my life to, to create that. And put one foot in front of the other and became a pediatrician. Interestingly enough, that goal hasn't changed, but the method in which I do it and the way that I feel that I can make the biggest difference has. Mm 
mm-hmm. but that's always, it's kind of a, a calling or a passion that I have. I truly believe it is my purpose to help um, people grow up healthy and emotional health is one of the strongest proponents for lifelong happiness and health. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, kind of knowing what you wanted to do at 12. When I was 12, I took my tape recorders way before podcasts and would interview everybody. Um, and I still have the interviews of my sister that we laugh at over and over. But, um, you know, that kind of shows you that children, no matter what age, they're just, they carry around the adult within them. And a lot of times the personality or their desires or their dreams, they don't change. And I think, don't you believe that you have to respect that and not treat them as kids, but treat them as almost future adults? Yeah, I I often refer to my children. Yes, they are children and they they get to be kids. They're actually helping me um, stay in touch with the child inside me. But they're they're simply smaller humans. Their humanity, their soul, their spirit, all that part of them, they really do get the opportunity to, or they should be given the opportunity to explore who they really are and what's important to them. Because you know, my my time of being their their quote unquote um, not the parent, because I'll always be the parent, but the role model or the person who has a huge influence on what they're doing is very limited in the scope of their whole life. So using this time to allow them to actually listen to their inner voice and to be willing to hear it and to know that it's okay, even if it seems different than the people around them, um, is so important in this life. Um, what is your philosophy, and this is the big topic, regarding devices? So iPads, gaming systems, phones, do you think they can be a detriment to a child's development or creativity? I believe anything used in excess can be a detriment. So I do believe that they can be, but I think that it's, you know, we need to realize as parents, you know, depending on the age of the parent, Um, I'm in my early 40s, so they were clearly not as much a part of my life growing up as they are now. Um, Younger parents, they may have played a bit more of a role, but that comes back to having the clarity about what it is you're trying to create in your life and with your relationships. So if you're clear about um, the family time that you want to spend together and what the relationship should feel like and the interest and are making sure that effort is being put into fulfilling all of those other aspects of life, then the the tablets and the technology time become something that isn't really as much of an issue because when there is downtime and they choose to do that, uh, I mean, I may scroll through Facebook, right, <laughs> as a woman in my 40s, and also recognizing that technology has a place in our, in our world and in our daily life now that it didn't have before. My children are homeschooled, so it's a large part of their schooling, and that doesn't count as a detriment to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of the way that they obtain information and that they do research now. So being able to compartmentalize and recognize what it's being used for. Now, as far as a detriment, I also think that there are some aspects related to brain development that if you get this instant gratification and there's all these endorphin high all the time, um, 
that are coming from, say, video games or are spending a whole lot of time on technology and we're not getting the outside play and the conversation and the reading and the other aspects, that the way the brain develops can be a little bit different. And it kind of is always expecting those endorphin hits and it's sort of setting you up for... Um, Interestingly enough, uh, recent studies have come out saying that teenagers are showing more signs of depression now than they did a decade ago. And that's because they kind of think that everything's supposed to be easy and perfect like it is on Instagram, right? Or like it is on Facebook. And they don't recognize that that's just the highlight reel. But that's an aspect of, you know, prioritizing, again, what you want in your family and being able to have those conversations and keep it an open conversation as technology changes and as your families um, explore and change. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, you have to balance it in terms of time offline and time online and also make sure that you keep the communication open with your children so you know what's going on on their online life as well as their offline. Yes. And it's important to come to those conversations with an open mind as the parent as well, so that um, your children continue to feel comfortable being open with you about what it is that they're doing or what they're exploring. And so that we're not setting them up to think it's just easier to, to hide things. Now you said you started Epic because you wanted to kind of get your message out to more people. Tell me about some of the programs within your company. Sure. So I started Epic Parenting, which stands for Empowered, Peaceful, Inspired, and Connected, as you mentioned in the intro, um, four years ago. And the way I came to it was, I mean, I was a tired, stressed, overwhelmed mom with two young kids, right, practicing medicine full time and found myself yelling more than I wanted and just not having the relationships with my very young children at the time that I wanted. And so I started doing some research and looked into changing the way I was doing things, really get into the brain science behind it and understand why I was doing things. Interestingly enough, as a pediatrician, um, parenting is taught sort of a like, this is what we do, but there wasn't a whole lot of basis behind it. And I transformed life with my children and my family really quickly. Tantrums stopped. My kids started discussing their feelings and telling me what was going on. I felt so much better. And I realized as I was in the office seeing, you know, 30, 35 families a day, how important this work is for everybody that was coming in. I wasn't the only tired, stressed out, yelling mom, but there just wasn't an opportunity in the office to really be able to do this work with the families and get to the family dynamics and and the, the parents' stories and how they were parented. So I chose to leave clinical practice and hopefully start to spread a message, as you were saying, that people can can do it a different way, that it's not their fault. We weren't taught how to do this. So what I do, I have um, many ways that I reach out. So I do podcasts like this so that I hopefully can reach people in a broader range than I know personally. I also have an online program um, that parents can go through that's 12 weeks. And then there's a weekly Q&A call with me where they really start to work through a lot of the issues and they can really start to define what they want life and their family to be like, and then get the pretty basic and easy to use tools on how to do that. Um, In addition, parents that want more um, 
one-on-one time or personalized time. I do one-on-one coaching with them. And I am, I have a Facebook group that is a free resource that parents can use. And I'm actually going to be upgrading that with um, weekly Facebook lives that talk about some, um, talk about some of these topics and start to introduce it in a way that's not overwhelming and that, you know, my goal is to never leave any parent feeling more guilty than they were before they started, but to start to realize that there are um, steps and ways that they can really create that peace in their life and in their home. How do your sons feel about this shift in your life and what you're doing? Do they support you? Not only do they support me, they are sort of the biggest supporters of me getting my message out there. Um, They don't, they were only I don't even know, two and three or three and four when I started doing um, this work. So they don't know a whole, I mean, to their conscious awareness, they don't know much that's very different, but they recognize different ways of um, other children being communicated with by their parents when we're out at the park or out at events. and, And they come to me and they say, that mom could talk to you about how not to to threaten or how not to bribe or how not to shame their children because we, you know, in our house, there's no punishment. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, I, I guess unless talking to me about us having a disagreement is considered a punishment in their eyes, but there's no real punishment. There's natural consequences that we can talk about. And then there's redefining our family values and coming back to the basics. So they've never had it time out or been punished or had things taken away just so that I could feel like I was in control. Um, It's really about connection and um, it works wonderfully. And I'm happy to report that I actually have children that people are like, wow, they're so well behaved and it must just be easy for you. And doing this work isn't always as easy for the parent because it might be easier for me to, me to say, do as I say, not yeah. do as I say, not as I do, or because I said so. But I just promised myself years ago that the because I said so answer was not going to be an appropriate one because I want them to be able to have their own voice so that when it's somebody else, the the slightly older teenager or a boss or a really, um, a partner in a relationship telling them to do something that they know that they have the, the right and ability to respectfully discuss how they're feeling about different topics. So hopefully you are raising amazing fathers <laughs> if they choose to have children someday. Yes, I, I, I would like to think that I am if they choose to have children someday. One of them says he plans on it. The other one says he's got too much stuff to do. He's going to be a, a famous YouTuber and he'll be too busy, but we'll see. He's seven right now, so it's entirely too soon to tell. So tell me a story about your parents and how they created the person who is now Dr. Tiffany. Yeah, my parents are amazing people who did the best that they that they could um, or that they knew how to do. They were very young when they had children. Um, they got married at 16 and 17. I was born when they were 20 and 21 years old. I would like to give them credit for always supporting whatever it is that I chose to do. However, emotional literacy, talking about feelings and emotions was not a huge part of my upbringing. And it's something that's really, that I'm very in tune to. So I like to say that I came to this work by, by learning how bad it felt to be to kind of be told that I was too much, right? I was too sensitive. I was overreacting or, you know, 
don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about, sort of those statements. I didn't have, I mean, I wasn't spanked as a child. I don't have any of those memories. But expressing myself fully wasn't something that I was, that was really commonplace in my house. It was more inconvenient for them. So in coming to that work, I knew how bad it felt. And I became an advocate very early on, even before I had children, for children being able to cry if they were sad and be able to express themselves. And it wasn't their job to make the adults feel comfortable by not expressing their feelings and not expressing their emotions. So my parents are absolutely wonderful people. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm 42 and they're in their 60s. We still sometimes have issues with this where I'm still very open about my feelings or emotions and it might make them a little more uncomfortable than, but that's not my job to make them comfortable. <laughs> so um, they, they get to work on that. Dr. Noonan, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for the opportunity. If you want to know more about Dr. Tiffany Noonan and Epic Parenting, visit her website at parentingcoaching.org. You've been listening to the Peaceful Life Podcast. If you have feedback about this or any other episode, please email me at laura at thepeaceful.life. If you'd like to support the project with a donation, Thank you. Go to patreon.com slash peaceful. Remember, you are a spectacular human being, and so are your children. Remind them of this each and every day.